Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Hey, I want to say a special thanks to Phil for leading us this morning. Kyle got strep throat late in the week and called Phil and was like, dude, can you please lead worship? And so uh, Phil did that. I mean, we just appreciate you. Thanks for standing in for Kyle. Uh, really appreciate you doing that, man. And Kyle, if you're watching from home, get better, buddy. Uh, well, man, we are so excited that you're here this morning. And if you're a guest, we're about to do something. The girls from the softball team, this is the weirdest part of church. So if you're not usually in church, this is just one of our little weird things. Church is kind of strange sometimes, but we love the Word of God. We love to celebrate the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. Look, if we can applaud home runs, we can applaud God's Word, right? And so, uh, so that's a cool thing. Hey, uh, Genesis chapter 40, and here's a question I want to just kind of start off with this morning. Uh, if you could go back in time to a place where you and your younger self were in a really difficult moment, just going through something hard in life. And you could go back to that really tough time and you could give yourself advice or wisdom or encouragement. And what would you say? What would you say to your younger self if you could go back to that moment where things just weren't good? Uh, I can remember a time where my family went through a really difficult time, a crisis moment for us. Uh, my father always owned businesses, and uh, the last business that he kind of owned was a, a car dealership. And, uh, and so we had everything kind of in this, this car dealership business, and, uh, and circumstances as they were, uh, things just didn't work out. And in fact, the, the business pretty much just crumbled. And for our family and for my dad, uh, we were facing bankruptcy. And it was a major difficult time in our life. It was just one of those moments that you go, man, this is so hard. And I don't know how we're here in this moment. I don't know what God's doing in the middle of this moment. But I can tell you some things that if I were able to go back to that dark time in our family's life and be able to speak into my life or into my parents' life, man, there's some things that I would say that I would encourage my parents with or I would encourage my younger self with. Because even in the middle of the worst circumstance that our family had ever faced, God was so good. And he was so faithful. And so for us, I would go back and I would see my dad and I'd say, Dad, you're, you're not going to believe this, but through the difficulty that you're experiencing right now with this business, God is going to completely change who you are as a man. God did a revolutionary work in my dad's life. My dad was already a great man, but now he was like a super great man, right? God just brought a lot of humility to my father through that. Not only that, but it was something that brought our family to a place where we prayed together. It bonded our family. I would go back and I would tell myself, hey, look, you're going to go through some really hard stuff right now as a college student with your family and your business and dad and all this kind of stuff. But, you're, but God is working behind the scenes to really bond your family. We spent time in prayer together daily. We spent time reading God's word, sending each other text messages with scripture in it, just encouraging one another, challenging each other, just to hold each other together because it was difficult. It was a tough moment in our lives. But it bonded us as a family. And then number three, what I would go back and I would tell myself and my family through that was you're not going to believe what God's going to do, like miraculous things that God's going to do in the middle of this. 
Because for my family, as my dad was going through this moment where he was losing a business, where our family was losing everything, where bankruptcy was a real possibility, and dad was having to pull employees into his office to fire them. They had watched how my family walked through that. And as my dad was letting people go from positions, they would ask questions about his faith. And on a few occasions, my dad, in a moment where he was firing someone from their job, got to share Christ with them and people prayed to receive Jesus as their savior. That is something that only God can do. You can't orchestrate things like that. You can't plan that kind of stuff. There's nothing in us that allows us to do those kinds of things. Only God can do those kinds of things. And so if I could go back and I could see myself again, I would just encourage myself and my family to go, listen, no matter what difficult thing you're going through, stay faithful to God. Stay obedient to God. That's what we've watched unfold in the life of Joseph over the last couple of weeks, is that we've seen a man who was faithful and obedient to God regardless of his circumstances. And God was teaching him things all along the way. In Joseph's life, God was using some dark, difficult times to prepare him for a much greater assignment. I mean, here's a guy that was the youngest of 12 children, and his older brothers sold him into slavery. <laughs> You're welcome, right? Like, what, what are you doing in that moment? That is the messed up, jacked up family of the year right there, right? And so they sell him into slavery, but guess what God was doing in that? God was teaching Joseph humility. Because Joseph had been prideful, he'd been arrogant, he had talked to his brothers about dreams that God had given him, and, but he didn't do it with humility. He did it with arrogance and with pridefulness. And God needed to break some stuff in him because God knew the future assignment he had for Joseph. And so he knew if you're going to be in charge someday, you're going to have to be humble to do it. So God was using that to humble him. When Joseph went into slavery, he was sold in Egypt. And he became uh, a servant in the house of Potiphar, the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And in that moment, God was doing some things to shape Joseph's character, to shape his integrity. And we talked last week about this story that Joseph was a handsome guy, well-built, the Bible says. And so Potiphar's wife started coming on to him. And she started making sexual advances toward Joseph. And he kept denying her, turning away. He finally said, I'm not even going to go in the same room with you. Joseph was building and God was developing in him a life of integrity, a life of character. And not only that, but in Potiphar's house, he was also learning about military strategy because Potiphar's the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. He's like the head of the secret service for Pharaoh. And so Joseph's hearing all the things that go on in Potiphar's house and how he talks to his servants and how he uh, manages the military campaigns of, of Egypt. And Joseph's learning all this kind of stuff. God's teaching him because one day God's going to have him in a position of authority in Egypt. Joseph doesn't know it yet, but God's preparing him for a better future. And then what we saw last week, because Potiphar's wife, uh, she, she said that Joseph had tried to rape her, and so Joseph was thrown into prison again. And so he's right back in chains in a dungeon. He didn't do anything wrong, but he finds himself imprisoned. And so as he is imprisoned, he has an interaction with two specific people, because the the person who was over the prison saw Joseph's work ethic. Joseph went straight into the jail and started working. He didn't, he didn't become bitter and angry and disappointed. He just got to work. And everything that he did, God blessed. And so the guy who's in charge of the prison puts Joseph as a prisoner in charge of the prison. That's a messed up prison system right there, right? If you're going, hey, I'm the jailer, but you're the prisoner. You get to be in charge. Just do whatever you want to, right? Like, that's messed up. But that's where Joseph finds himself. He finds himself in a place where he's like, man, I'm in charge of the prisoners in this, uh, in this dungeon, in this cell. 
And so he has a run-in with two specific people that the Bible talks about in Genesis chapter 40. We're going to look at the first eight verses here together. And the Bible just says this. It says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. So the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. And after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Now I want us to pick up on this because this is a window into the soul of Joseph and it shows the work that God's been doing in him to develop his character. See, these guys are all in prison together. And, and these two guys that just had dreams, they're sad, they're dejected, they don't know what their dreams mean, but they're imprisoned because of something they had done that offended Pharaoh. And Joseph's in the same place with them. But here's what I love about Joseph's character. Even while he's in prison with these other guys, he's not angry, he's not bitter, he's not malicious. He notices their state. He notices how brokenhearted they are. And he reaches out to encourage them. He sees them where they are, in their mess, in their need, and he goes, man, I'm not just going to leave those guys alone and pretend like we have the same problems. I'm going to see that need, and I'm going to try to meet it. And so if you're keeping notes this morning, if you like following along on the YouVersion app and want to keep up with us or write some things down, just write this down. Men who are consumed with anger and bitterness do not often take a concern for the personal problems of others like Joseph does with the baker and the cupbearer. Like, this is just true, Right? If you're full of anger and bitterness about things in your life, you probably could care less about what other people are going through. You're just going to watch out for yourself because you've been hurt, because you've been in a bad spot before, because things have been difficult. And if you're angry and bitter, you're not looking out for the well-being of other people. So the question that I'd ask you then is this. When you're in the middle of difficult struggles, do you see people around you? Do you see the need of others? When you're going through your crisis moments in life, when you're going through your really hard times, do you recognize that you're not alone? You're not the only person in this world that has problems and has struggles, that there are still other people that are out there in the world that are struggling as much or more than you are? Or do we become so self-centered, so self-looking uh, that we only notice the things that are going on in our life and we refuse to pay attention to other people? Because here's the truth of what God has done in our lives as followers of Christ. He's placed us on the earth that regardless of our struggles, regardless of the things that we're doing, that we are to be a conduit of his love out to the world. That we are to be the ones that take the gospel message, the love of Jesus, and give that to other people. That we expose them to the truth and the power of the gospel to change their life. And so Joseph sees this. He's a servant, he's imprisoned, but he notices. Even in his hardship, he notices that there's somebody who seems worse than him. And he sees these guys they're sad, they're dejected, they've had a dream. And so here's what Joseph says next. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. And he said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded and blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. Verse 12. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. 
Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I've done nothing wrong to deserve being in a dungeon. And so then when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable inter interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. Right, like this is the moment where you're going, ooh, he told him some really good things. Ooh, ooh, pick me next. I had a dream too. I want to tell you about my dream, right? This is that moment where it's just like, oh, that was awesome. He just gave him a favorable interpretation of his dream. I can't wait for him to tell me about mine. Well, maybe not so much. Here's what he says. When the chief baker saw Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. And in the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Congratulations, right? Like if you're this guy in this moment, you're kind of going, you know, I probably could have done with less information. Like just you're going to die would have been fine, right? Uh, you didn't have to tell me that they're going to take off my head. They're going to impale my body on a pole. Birds are going to eat my flesh. Like I could have done without those details because now I have three days to worry about that. <laughs> but he's going, here's what's going to happen. Here's where you are. Here's the, the predicament. Verse 20 says, now the third day, it was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joseph, through God's power, interprets the dreams of these men, and it happens exactly like he says. One gets restored to a position of authority with Pharaoh, the other one is killed. And so when the cupbearer goes back into the service of the Pharaoh, the Bible just says he forgot. He forgot about Joseph. He went right back to doing his job and he just forgot that there was somebody who helped get him back to that place, who interpreted his dream for him. And he didn't say anything to Pharaoh about him. So the cupbearer is released from prison and he forgets about Joseph. Look at chapter 41, Genesis 41, starting verse one. It says, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. So Joseph's been in prison now for two full years at least, maybe longer. Pharaoh was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. And after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the, sleek, uh, the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up, because that's disgusting. In verse 5, he fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. And after them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. And the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. So in the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servant, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us. He's a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. 
And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, because you don't come to Pharaoh looking like a ragamuffin, he came before Pharaoh. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So now Pharaoh has a dream. And after two years have passed, the cupbearer remembers Joseph and Joseph is brought in to interpret his dream. But Joseph looks at him and says, look, I can't, I can't do that. But there's a God who gives dreams and a God who interprets dreams. And he can do that for me. And so this is the second time that as a dream is presented to Joseph, he proclaims that he can't interpret it, but God can. So this is what Joseph is starting to realize. The story's not about him. It's not about him. Back in the days when he was with his family and he started having these dreams that everyone was going to bow down and worship him, and in his arrogance and his pridefulness, he would go to his brothers, he would go to his parents, and he would tell them about the dreams. Listen to the dream I had. I can't wait to explain this dream to you that I had. And he just wanted to tell them his dreams. But he's changed now. God's humbled him. God's shaped him. He's molded him. He's crafted him with integrity and with character. And so now when somebody tells him his dream, he doesn't just say, oh, yeah, that's easy. I know how to do that. I can interpret your dreams. He readily says, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. Humans don't have the ability to do that. Dreams come from God and are interpreted by God. So God can interpret your dream. And so Joseph is listening with humility now. The dreams that Joseph had had weren't to elevate him, but they're to show God's power on the earth. And so Joseph's getting this point. The story's not about Joseph. We've been talking about him for three weeks. The story's not about Joseph. The story's about God. And the story is not about you. Your story, your life, the story is not about you. The story's about God. I know we like to think that it's about us. Everything revolves around us, right? You're starring in your own mini movie. And everywhere you go, the camera's right there. It's in your face. And you just imagine, I'm the star. I'm in charge. I'm the guy. I'm the girl. But it's not about you. It's about God. It's about the work that God is doing in your life behind the scenes and in front of the scenes to show that he's at work. And God's plan that he's revealing to Pharaoh is that he's a God who loves to redeem. He's a God who loves to save. And so he gives Pharaoh these dreams to show him that some bad things are about to happen, but God wants to save people, to redeem people. And so that's what we're starting to see with Pharaoh's dreams. So we're not reading it, but I want to just tell you the meaning of the dreams. So these seven big cows, sleek and fat and happy, and they're good, and they're nice cows, come out of the Nile. And then seven more cows, skinny, gaunt, ugly, come out, and they eat them. (laughs) Crazy. Then he has another dream, seven grains of stalk, or seven stalks of grain uh, are there. They're healthy. They look great. But then seven other stalks of grain come out that are scorched by the wind and burnt up looking, but they devour the healthy grain. And so Joseph says, here's what your dreams mean. God's telling you that seven years of abundance are coming to Egypt. Seven great years are coming. But on the tail end of those seven great years, seven terrible years are coming. Seven years of famine, seven years of disaster. And the seven years of famine and disaster are going to be far worse than the seven good years. 
enjoy the seven good years. God's going to bless you and he's going to make Egypt fruitful and he's going to give you a harvest. Enjoy those seven years because after them is coming some really difficult, strong times, bad times. And so Joseph gives Pharaoh the answer to what his dream means. But then Joseph does something that Pharaoh doesn't ask for. I love this. He gives him wise counsel. Pharaoh doesn't say, oh my gosh, thank you for interpreting that dream. What do you think we should do? Joseph just says, hey, I've, I've got some counsel for you. If you'll allow me, if you'll let me speak, I want to tell you what you should do or what I would do if I were in your shoes. Look at verse 33, Genesis 41, starting verse 33. Joseph speaks and says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and a wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that are going to come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So here's a life lesson that we can just take from the life of Joseph. Do what's right, even if it's not expected of you. And even if it won't benefit you immediately. Do what's right, even if it's not expected of you. And even if it has no immediate benefit for your life, do the right thing. Joseph tells Pharaoh the dream. And as far as he knows, his next step is back to prison. There's no benefit of Joseph stepping up in his mind of saying, hey, Pharaoh, if I were in your shoes and had leadership and authority, here's what I would do. But he does it anyway. He does what's not expected of him, and he does it with no thought of there being an immediate benefit in his life. And so for us, I just want to encourage us to think that same way, that we would look at life and go, well, you know what, when situations come up and things arise, do the right thing, even if it doesn't benefit you immediately, even if people don't expect you to do it. There's so many people who expect so little of the world that people are just going to do what's right for them and best for them. Do the right thing in God's eyes, even if it doesn't benefit you, even if it doesn't have immediate blessings. So Genesis chapter 41, verse 37, the plan Joseph gave seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in robes of fine linen and he put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in a chariot as in his second in command and shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Paneah, and he gave him Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. So Pharaoh takes Joseph and he elevates him from prisoner to governor. He goes, hey man, nobody's going to be greater in this kingdom than you are except me. I'm Pharaoh, but you're going to be in charge. He takes him out of his, his 
dungeon garments and he gives him his robe. He puts his signet ring on his finger. He takes Joseph from the prison and he puts him in the palace. And I just love that. That he exalts Joseph to this place of authority, not because Joseph is so amazing, but because God has been at work behind the scenes for years and years and years. And he says to Joseph, hey, look, in Egypt, nobody's even going to lift a hand or a foot unless you tell them to. That's how powerful and how in charge you are. I mean, I'm the parent of two little kids. I can't even make them stop running. If, you know, like, for Joseph to be like, no one moves unless I tell you. And the entire country obey. That's power, Right? I don't know what kind of authority you have in your job, in your house. That's authority. God's raised him up to this level of authority where he's in charge in Egypt. He's moved from the prison to the palace. And then in verse 46, it tells us Joseph was 30 years old at the time that Pharaoh gave him this position of authority. Do you remember how old Joseph was when he was sold by his brothers? He was 17. 17 years old. Should have been going to prom, right, ladies? 17 years old. Not going to prom, being sold into slavery. And as he's sold off into slavery, he spends all of this time from 17 to 30 in Egypt. We don't know exactly how much time he spent as Potiphar's servant. Maybe up to 11 years. It tells us that after he had been with the uh, chief cupbearer and baker, that two more years had passed. So maybe a little bit less time in Potiphar's house. Maybe up to four, five, six years in prison that he had been serving. But all of that time, God was doing some things behind the scenes. He was helping Joseph to understand a new life lesson. Here's the lesson for us. God seeks to use those who are faithful to him, regardless of their circumstances. God looks at us and goes, man, if you, in the middle of your worst moments, in your difficulty, in your struggle, if you'll just remain faithful, just be obedient, I'll use you. I'll find a way to use your life for my glory. And so Joseph's been faithful. He's been obedient. But I want us to rewind for a minute. And I want us to look at something that was kind of buried in the story, but I think it's vitally important to the story. And if you go back and you kind of look and go, okay, what was this prison situation Joseph had been in? The Bible says multiple times that it was the king's prison. It was the Pharaoh's prison. It was actually a dungeon in the house of the captain of the guard. So the same man Joseph had worked for, Potiphar, this is a dungeon cell in the basement of his house. And as Joseph is in prison, he's not just in any prison. This isn't where somebody goes if they steal bread from the street corner vendor and need a slap on the wrist for a few days to tell them how bad they've been. You go to jail. This is the king's prison. In this prison are where the king sends people that have personally offended him. Remember, the baker and the cupbearer had worked for Pharaoh. They ended up there because they were officials to Pharaoh. So in this prison that Joseph finds himself in are all kinds of people that have had levels of authority in Egypt. People who had military authority in Egypt. People who had had financial authority in Egypt. People who had had architectural authority in Egypt. Anything that was under the Pharaoh's command, any of his officials, these are high-ranking prison officials that Joseph finds himself surrounded by. And in all of that, as Joseph is being prepared by God, he doesn't know it, but God is sending Joseph to school by putting him in that, in that prison. In that prison, Joseph is in charge of all of these prisoners of Pharaoh where he's learning about how Egypt works. How do you govern? How do you rule? How do you lead a military? How do you do finance? All of the things that need to be learned about Egypt, Joseph has teachers in the prison. 
See, God was preparing Joseph by sending him to school. What do you do? If you want to run the government, if you want to run a business, if you want to run a company, if you want to have authority in some level, what, what would you do? You go to school, right? God's sending Joseph to school. He sends him to prison university. He'll say, hey, this is where I've got you. I need you in this moment in prison university. And so that's where Joseph finds himself. It reminds me a little bit of a story in more in our context. Nelson Mandela, before he became the president of South Africa, he had been accused of being a terrorist in the nation during a time where there was great racial divide between white citizens and black citizens of South America. And apartheid was going on in that country. And Nelson Mandela was wrongfully imprisoned for 27 years, 18 of which he spent on a place called Robben Island. And in his imprisonment there, it wasn't easy, it wasn't glamorous, it was brutal. But he said it provided him with an education that he would need one day to run the country of South Africa. Listen to what Nelson Mandela said about his time in prison. Prison is itself a tremendous education in the need for patience and perseverance. It is above all a test of one's commitment. See, when Nelson Mandela came out of prison, the government had collapsed. He was able to be released. And the people instituted for the first time a democratic election system. Nelson Mandela went from being a, labeled a terrorist to being the president of South America or South Africa. And as he's in that position of authority, he says, I look back and I see that prison was a place of education for me. It trained me for how to lead this nation, how to bring together, how to unify a country. I had to learn those things. His friend, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, wrote this. Suffering can break you. It can embitter you. It can make you a ghastly and totally intolerable creature to have around. But it can also make you more humane, more compassionate, more caring, more understanding. He says, man, prison can be an education. And so when God wants to do something in Joseph's life, he sends him to prison. He sends him to prison university. Now, you may not face prison, but all of us are going to go through difficult times in our life, right? All of us. You already have. You've already been through difficult struggles in your life. And I want you to know this, that what we find with Joseph is the same thing that's true to us. We can trust God in our circumstances regardless of where we are in life. Listen, I want you to hear this. God didn't send Joseph to prison to punish him. He sent him to prison to prepare him. Vastly different things, right? And when we go through difficult times, I think a lot of times we see this, we go, God, why are you putting me through something that's hard? Why are you making me go through something that's difficult? Why are you making me struggle like this? Why are you punishing me? Is it God getting back at me for something that I did? And a lot of times I think God's going, no, I'm not punishing you. The circumstances you're in right now, I'm preparing you. I've got something out there for you that's coming up that you don't even know about. And you've got to go through this dark chapter in your life so that you can lead well and be influential and have authority in another time in your life. And so when we see this, we go, man, God is sending Joseph to prison university. And I want to ask you the question, what school is God sending you to? Anybody been to Heartache College? Been there? Uh... College of Poverty, anybody? You've been through some things. Maybe you've been to the uh, Temptation University. That's a difficult one. God sends you through those things. Maybe you've gone through Divorce University. Oh man, I had to walk through that difficult road, but I got an education. I've been there. Maybe you've been to the University of Loneliness. Maybe you've faced that place where you just go, I've, I've been to the College of Pain and Sorrow. I've been there. 
Those are difficult places to be. But God sent me there because he was preparing me. And through those seasons in life and through those trials that I went through, God really prepared me for something else in my future. Here's another school God sends all of us to. It's the school of lostness. The school of sin. See, we're born into this world with a sinful nature. All of us live in rebellion against God. You may not think about it in those terms or know about it that way, but the truth is, is that when we're born, we are born as enemies of God. He is holy and he is just and he is righteous and he's without sin. And we are sinful people. We're broken. We're lost. And God allows us in our brokenness to go through difficult things to see just how in need of him we really are. He sees us. Because I want you to experience the pain of what it means to be outside of a relationship with me so that you'll long for a relationship with me. So that you'll crave that intimacy with me. God uses the school of lostness to pull us into relationship. But whatever school it is that you're going to, maybe some of you have multiple degrees from these schools. Just go, yeah, I've got all kinds of education. I'm working on a doctorate in some of these things. But for you right now, if you were just to take and write down something a fill in the blank. Right now, God is sending me to the university of, and you fill in the blank. Where's God sending you to school? I want you to hear, just as Joseph heard, God's not doing that to punish you. He's doing it to prepare you. God's got something for your future that he wants to prepare you for. Regardless of your circumstances, faithful obedience is what's required for those of us who are following Jesus. And so maybe you're living between your dreams and reality. All of us have big dreams, things that we think is out there for our future. And then this is what I think my future looks like, and I'm dreaming for this great thing. But then you look at your reality and you go, I can't ever get to that place of my dream because my reality is dark. My reality is painful. My reality is hurt. And I don't see myself getting to that dream. Joseph was in that same place. But here's what we need to remember. It's not about us. It's about God. Joseph finds out and he goes, man, my story wasn't about me. It was about God. And your story is not about you. It's about God. So when we learn these things and when we go through these things, I want us to understand this truth. Not everyone will get Joseph's result. Joseph got moved from the dungeon to the most powerful place of authority in Egypt below Pharaoh. Not all of us get that same story. The truth about the brokenness of this world is that some of us will be sick and will never be healed. Some of us will be bullied and never escape our tormentors. Some will face financial crisis and never recover from it. Some will live in relative obscurity and never feel valued. Some of the things that you go through in your life, you may not get to experience the end result that Joseph got to experience. But we're called to remain faithful, obedient to the God who loves us. That we would go through obscurity to the glory of God. That we would go through financial struggles to the glory of God. That we would go through sickness and death for the glory of God that we would maybe even give our lives for the glory of God. It's all worth it when you start to see the story not being about you, but being about God. 
And here's where the ultimate promise of the Christian faith comes in. We may not get elevated from our circumstances here in this earth to a new place of great authority and power and significance, but God tells us if we remain faithful to him, obedient to him, the glory of a relationship with him is this life is not where things end. There is a life to come for those of us who believe in Christ. There is a future with God forever in heaven. The things that you struggle through on this earth that you never get rewarded for here will be rewarded there. And the glory of it all is that when you see God face to face, any reward, any blessing he gives to you, the Bible says you're going to take right back and put it back at his feet and go, I'm not worthy. You can keep this. Because the glory and the joy is the relationship with God. So whatever it is that you're going through today, whatever struggle it is that you're facing, whatever school God has you going to right now, hang on. Walk in faithfulness. Walk in obedience. And trust God to show you what's going to come. Let me give you three action steps as we close up this morning. Number one, look at your current situation and ask God where he's taking you to school. Just ask him, God, where is it right now that you're trying to educate me? Maybe I've been blind to it. Maybe I haven't even paid attention. Maybe I've just seen it as pain and sorrow and hardship. And I didn't realize you were trying to educate me in that. God, would you just show me right now where you're taking me to school? I want to learn. Number two, refuse to be so inwardly focused that you lose sight of how God can use you in the lives of other people. Ask God to help you see the hurt of others around you this week and then plan to serve those people. See, we get so inwardly focused sometimes when life comes crashing down on us. And we get so bent out of shape that everything turns inward to us. And the reality is there may be some people in your life that God's going, hey, I know you're in a difficult spot right now, but don't lose sight of the fact that I've put you on this earth to be a conduit of my love out to this world. Look around. See who's hurting. And then reach out to meet those needs as best you can. In the power of the Holy Spirit, find a way to serve other people. And then number three, and lastly, give glory to God regardless of your current circumstances, and live in faithful obedience to him. This is where we all end up. Regardless of what happens in your life, remember to give glory to God. He alone is worthy. He alone has given us life and breath and meaning. And so in everything, in everything, give glory to God. Give glory to God in the, the winds in your life, Give glory to God in the struggles of your life. But whatever you do, follow the example of Joseph. Be faithful, be obedient, give glory to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I love you. I'm so grateful for your truth. I'm thankful for how it guides our lives. I'm thankful, Father, for how you encourage us. God, I just want to pray for people in this moment who are maybe in some dark places right now. Life's scary. It's difficult. They don't know what you're doing. They don't know where you're sending them to school. But they need to hear from you, God. And I just pray that we'll subject ourselves and submit ourselves to you, to your authority. And we'll trust you to pull us through and to walk with us. God, you're right there in the middle of the storm. You're right there with us. You never let go of us. You never let us out of your sight. And your love is always for us. So help us to hold on, God. 
Father, I pray that you'll help us to have our eyes open this week to see the need of people around us so that we can reach out and minister to people. And God, that we'll give you all glory, all honor, all praise. I love you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.